Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everyone. My name is Andrew Krause. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. Stephen Key is our other co-founder. And we're going to be doing a whole hour of Q&A. And when we do these hour-long Q&As, I love it, by the way. You guys have great questions. Um, we always kind of have a theme. So we kind of infuse that theme. You guys ask whatever question you want, but we'll infuse that theme. And today's theme is walk before you run. Um, whew. I think that's pretty accurate. I think a lot of inventors just start running, like literally not knowing what path they're going down. It gets them in a lot of trouble. With that same, you know, thought in mind, you know, taking action, being very proactive, you know, actually working on the business side of inventing and not just coming up with ideas is is absolutely uh, critical. So you got to do the boring stuff you guys don't want to do. It's not scary. Anybody can do it. You just got to jump on and, and, and do it. But if you don't know what to do, you got to walk before you can run. And you need to know where you're running. You know, you just start running. You're running down the wrong path. You're, you're going to end up, you know, in, in trouble. So uh, if you guys can start typing in your questions, if somebody could type in the word yes, just to confirm that you guys can hear me on audio. Uh, I'll you know, type in our website here, inventright.com, just so you guys have it, because I, I always refer to great. Everybody can hear me. Um, so we got some cool resources. If you go to inventright.com, it's in the chat. Um, and if you're watching the replay, it'll be down below in the in the description, or you can just type in inventright.com. That's not too hard. Um, we got some free resources up there, so make sure to check that out. Click on the free resources uh, button and get those. Um, also, if you click on member success, you're going to see a bunch of our students' products currently on the market. It's not all of them by any means, but it's really long. That page goes down quite a long time. And you can see some of the products our students license and support them by their products too. Um, and uh, what else we got on there? Um, we got a lot of cool stuff on our website, so just make sure to check that out. Of course, we have information about our programs. And also, you can click on contact us and you could book a call with Sylvia or Dana to talk to you more about how we can help. So let's jump in. Um, thank you, Mike said, hey there, Rockstar. Yeah, 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 okay. Um, so let's jump in. Uh, I'm gonna ask Mike's, the other Mike, Mike Gee's question later, cause it's just gonna seem like a shameless plug, but I'll just go ahead and, and answer it really quickly. Um, Mike Gee said, what is your fast track accelerated coaching program? That's something that our other co-founder wanted to stick up there. Sometimes people are like, I got to do it fast. I got to do it fast. I want to do it really fast. And it's like, okay, well, licensing never works that fast. Um, you work fast and doing what you need to do. You take action, but it takes a while for companies to get back to you. And you got to kind of play that numbers game. Um, but so we threw that up on the site, I think two months ago or something like that. Haven't sold a single one. 90, 95% of people sign up with a premium one-on-one coaching. And then um, the rest sign up with our academy or online coaching. But I've never sold one of those. I don't think we will. If you just absolutely need to do more meetings a month and just go um, really, really fast, then um, you could do that. But it's, it's more expensive and I don't really think it's necessary to be honest with you. But we had some people that were telling Stephen and myself, that's what we want. So, but sometimes people say that and then do they put their money where their mouth is? And I don't think so. I think, you know, just do the premium one-on-one -on -one coaching. It's more affordable. And I just don't think the fast track program's really necessary. Um, 
All right. Uh, Hassan say, said, hi, Andrew. Hey, Hassan. Uh, I had a gentleman um, emailed me that had been watching us on here. And he said, um, and then he's also on our LinkedIn. And he said, oh, you know, I've been asking some questions on YouTube and also on the LinkedIn Q&A that you and Steven do. And you guys haven't answered any of my questions. And I've been doing it a couple of weeks or whatever. And I'm like, well, on YouTube, I answer pretty much all of them. So um, last week, I had some people that said, oh, I typed in my question. And I'm like, it's not there. Um, so if if I didn't, if I if you type in a question and I go past it, um, just let me know because I think sometimes YouTube it doesn't go up there. I have no no idea why, but that happens once in a while. Um, I think I keep touching my glasses and then they're blurry. Uh, so uh, Alex says thanks for the new Zoom calls for licensing um, licensed this members and have also been listening to the podcast with Sylvia. Lots of helpful info. So yeah, Alex is a member of our twenty nine dollar a month program. It doesn't include one-on-one -on -one coaching, but we did a Zoom call for our $29 a month um, members. We called License This members. That's what we call it. Um, and Alex is on there. It was a great meeting. I really enjoyed that. Um, that was fun. Uh, it was interesting. I, a lot of people in there seemed to be interested in coaching. We want to do as much as we can without coaching in that program. But if you guys need coaching, we're always here. Uh, Dave Church said, could you possibly expand on leveraging copyrights as opposed to people? PPAs, provisional patent applications, which fields and types of products would be better served by copyrights? An example to a physical toy game would be a copyright. Would a copyright be more appropriate? The vast majority of the time, a copyright in lieu of a provisional patent is not going to be appropriate. Um, and everything I share with you guys today, just a little disclaimer, should not be considered legal advice. Please consult your attorney if you're looking for legal advice. Um, so, you know, one area, which is a weird, funky little area um, that copyrights are very useful is board games. So if you have a board or card game, um, you can just copyright the rules. And copyrights in that respect are a lot stronger than patents. But don't go, oh, now I'm going to do copyrights, Andrew. No, because for 99% of you, um, it's not applicable. So um, when you copyright the rules for a board game or a card game, if a judge somebody knocks off the game, they're going to look at the rules. It's just words, right? And then you get the words of the on the knocked off product. Um, and you look at the rules for both and they go, oh, yeah, you, you made a copyright violation. You copied the rules because it's very clear. Now, patents, the problem is they're all up. Into, those are words, too, but they're not exact words. They're up to interpretation. What is this really protecting? What is he trying to say here? You know, and so uh, copyrights are a lot more clear to uh, f find that one person's infringing. Patents, you gotta, it's gotta be analyzed. You gotta talk about it. Then you gotta take them to court, you know, or at least threaten to or whatever. So it's, it's a lot messier. Um, but you know, everything, when you copyright something and that copyright is not the patent office, the patent is the patent and trademark office. So they do patents and trademarks. They don't do copyrights. The government agency in the United States that does copyrights, the Library of Congress. Okay. Now, I'll, so if you, for those of you who don't understand how copyrights work, like if I give a speech that's automatically copyrighted, you know, you can you could do something. You could make a cell sheet and put a little C with a circle around it. That's copyrighted. You don't have to file it with the Library of Congress for it to be copyrighted. It's automatic. If you want additional protection, you can. You can actually send a whole portfolio into the Library of Congress. Have I, do I remember last time one of our students like copyrighted something? Yeah, I guess it happens once in a while, not very often, but just so it's copyrighted by default. 
So this speech I'm giving now is automatically copyrighted as my speech. Okay. Um, so that's how copyrights work. So, uh, you know, do I advise you putting a little copyright, a little C notice on your cell sheet or something like that? You know, artwork can be copyrighted too. Um, and so, but so to answer your question, Dave, is I would definitely recommend always filing a provisional patent application. Um, if you have a board game or a card game, usually the, the the board game in particular, the like when I talk to board game manufacturers, they don't bother with patents. Um, they do copyrights. But that's a very small exception. You know, you've got a kitchen cutting board, automotive product, gardening trowel, industrial product, consumer product, like you're going to be doing a provisional patent application. Okay. Um, so hopefully that's helpful. All right, so today's theme is walk before you run. And so what's an example of walking before you run? Well, running, having an idea and then running out and filing a patent on it. Uh, running out and going, well, I need, I need a prototype, you know? And not understanding that, no, you didn't need to, this is for people that aren't in the know. For those of you that are new here, you're not in the know yet. For those of you who've been here for a while. At InventRight, we teach people to, to file a provisional patent application. $60 with the patent office, lets you say patent pending for a year. Why would you ever, ever file a full utility patent when you can get a year of patent pending status for $60, right? So it gives you a year to fish off a pier, see if there's interest. It gives you a year to file another one with some change you want to make instead of spending 12 grand and then spending another 12 grand when you need to make a change. Are you freaking kidding me? Um, so, uh, so filing patents, not knowing that you could file a provisional is, is running before you walk and you got to walk before you run. So part of walking, I think, is understanding the steps you need to take and the order in which they go and not just making these assumptions. Like it, you tell your friends and family, and this is a great compliment, but don't follow their advice. You tell that your friends and family, this is my invention. And they're like, oh, that's really good. Oh, that's really cool. That, 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 oh, that's really, really cool invention. Yes, that's really cool. You better get a patent on that. Okay. Now, the advice they gave you was extremely, extremely poor and rudimentary and amateur. Okay. They think what they're really saying is that's a cool product. You better get a patent on it. I'm afraid if somebody's going to steal it from you. Right. But what they're doing is preaching fear. You know, you could file a provisional patent. What they're saying is blow a bunch of money, screw yourself when you could find a file a provisional and you know there's going to be other things you need to change along the way and then file another provisional. So take it as a compliment. Wow, they believe in my product. They believe somebody's going to steal it because it's that good. Take it as a compliment. But the advice is terrible, you know, um, or Uncle Joe's like, well, you got to make that thing and you got to do it in your, your workshop and then you got to make a hundred. And it's like, don't follow his he didn't know licensing exists. He doesn't know that you could sell it to some big company and they're selling hundreds of thousands of units as you making a couple hundred units or whatever, and that you can put all that work off into them. It's their money and their workforce and their distribution. That's what licensing is. So um, he didn't know that, but he believed in your product. So it's great when friends and family say things like this, but don't take their advice unless they've done it before. They don't know what they're talking about, right? Um, my two cents says, I've heard you say that no licensing agreement comes perfectly ready to sign. True. You always have to protect yourself, even from big companies in the game 
and toy industry. Well, it's not, it's not like they're trying to screw you. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, it's a wide range people. I mean, this is what we see and you guys don't see it because we're on the inside and we're seeing this from, you know, we've had thousands or tens of thousands of inventors over the last 23 years, you know, um, in, in different ways. And we see people and contracts that are a freaking mess. But the, to assume that the company's trying to screw you every time, I'll give you one example. Um, sometimes the company, you know, marketing manager shows interest, it goes around the company, oh, we're kind of like this. And then their general counsel, their general attorney, writes a licensing contract, which they should not be doing. I mean, that's not, you know, a licensing attorney. Licensing is a very specific um, uh, area of law, right? And so, and we'll look at it and Paul, our negotiation coach will just go, this isn't remotely a licensing agreement. This is a freaking mess. We don't care. We helped the student get it to the point where they got interest and they wanted to send something to say, here are some terms. And now Paul's got to help the student go back and forth the company and plug all those good terms in. That's okay. Are they trying to screw you? No. But it's sometimes it's it's just literally laughable that like it's missing so many things that should be in there. There's things in there that are in there that actually contradict like this thing contradicts this thing. And Paul's just going, OK, well, he doesn't even do this anymore. He's just like eh, seen this before. No big deal. They want to do a deal. They want to license it. Doesn't matter. So but most of you might be kind of shocked like, oh, they're a big company. They got their act together. No, they quite often they don't. Um, so. My two cents is their, their handle says, um, even from big companies in the, in the, in the, do you need to protect yourself even from big companies in the game and toy industry? Yeah. You need to protect yourself from everybody, you know, and you need to make sure it's not, you need to make sure the contract is fair and balanced. You're going to give them some things and you're going to say, no, these things aren't in here. These things need to be in here. Some things are non-negotiable. Um, Companies, a good percentage of the time, will argue minimum guarantees. Guys, it's non-negotiable. But Paul, our negotiation coach, knows like, well, you're going to say this to them. They're going to argue a bit. Let's let it sit a week, and then you'll come back and go, well, they'll, then they'll say, well, fine, but lower. You know. So, But as an inventor, if you weren't getting our guidance, they would argue over minimums, and then you go, well, screw you guys. I can't do that because you could just sit on it and blah, blah, blah. But we know how to do that deal and do that back and forth and know those points at which just let them sit on it for a bit. They're probably going to come back and say this and nine times out of 10, they do. Okay. But you need minimum guarantees because if, <clears throat> if you don't have an out, if they're not selling the product or they're not selling enough, you need an out. Right. But it's, it's at a, such a small amount that they're not going to want to continue to sell the product at that, at that volume. Right. But if you don't have it, they could just continue to sit on it. You need an out, and there's other ways to get those outs too. But, um, you know, so normally it's normal, and this is not them scamming you. There's a ton of stuff that's not in the licensing contract that should be in there. Normal. It's normal. Um, but, and, and the, the problem is with licensing attorneys, and I think the reasons why we're able to close so many more deals is because we're not overly abrasive. So we help the student go back and forth. We say sit a week where attorneys like and their clients, the inventors are like, oh, they're going to fight for me. They're going to fight. They're going to. And before you know it, 
they fought for you. They send you a giant bill and the company said, screw off. You're being too difficult. We don't want to do a deal with you. So, but we help people go back and forth in a friendly fashion. It's not that we're not hard at times. We, what are you going to hold to? I'll give you an example. I'm going off on negotiations, then I'll jump back to your guys' questions. Um, we had this student that normally we, we're, we guide our students through negotiations. And usually we'll get them to about 95% done. And we'll say, okay, this deal's done. Don't sign it. Have a licensing attorney over, look, at for an hour, look at it for an hour or two. This is a while back. We have a couple of attorneys we know where they'll do it for next to nothing um, because they know if Paul's helped them, the deal's pretty much done. They just need to dot the I's and cross the T's, okay? And most licensing attorneys won't do that, but we have a few that will work with our students for a few bucks um, just to finalize the contract. Most of them, they're like, hey, I'm not getting two, three, four grand out of you. I don't even want to talk to you, you know, sort of thing, which I understand, but we have a couple of licensing attorneys we know that are really friendly that for a deal that we got done with our student, they're like, well, there's nothing much to look at anymore because you guys are so thorough, right? But this is before I think we had this set up. And um, the student said, oh, I'm going to go with my licensing attorney. We're like, okay, no problem. And uh, fortunately, they came back and told our negotiation coach, Paul, hey, my attorney said we need to change this and this and this and this and this. Okay. And Paul's like looking at it and going, this deal's done. Like, I've never had any of those things ever be remotely a problem. They're trying to create, a licensing attorneys trying to create value. That's BS. Let's not kill this deal. Those things are unimportant. We've never seen it in 23 years create a problem. My God, no. Now, he had like one or two other little things. We're like, yeah, that's fine. Now, if that inventor wasn't smart, he, he could have had that licensing attorney talk to the company. And before you know it, he would have killed the deal. Because they'd be like, what? You could argue over this stupid stuff? I think it was stupid. It was like, so don't assume all attorneys are smart. Um, and really, it, it's a bit of, I've said this before, it, we beat up attorneys way too much. But it's a conflict of interest. The more they nitpick stuff to death, the more billable hours, billable hours, the more billable hours they get out of you, and the more likely they are to kill the deal, okay? So this is very cynical, but then you get a good licensing attorney. It's like, oh, they caught a little, this word, this sentence, because we're not attorneys. So we always say, don't sign the contract for your attorney. And they're like, oh, change this word, change the sentence. Um, now have, in 23 years, has a company ever come back to one of our students and go, oh no, you missed those words. You know, we're gonna screw you now, or we're, we're gonna do whatever we like. No, I haven't seen that either. But really important to dot the I's and cross those T's. And attorneys are great at that. They're very good at that. Steven makes this joke, which is kind of crude. They're good at picking fly shit out of pepper. So um, <laughs> that's disgusting when you think about it. Um, uh, Francis, uh, thank, thanks. Uh, yeah, thank you, Francis. Thank you, Mike, for calling me a rock star. Um, appreciate that. Um, today's theme, by the way, is walk before you run. And I gave some examples, like just having an idea and then filing a patent. That's walking before you run. Um, uh, nine is their handle, N-I-N-E. I'm going to buy a coaching program soon. I'm wrapping up my business to take this on with whole focus. Can hardly wait. Oh, great. Well, we welcome you. Um, 
nine in German means no, but I guess you're saying yes. So <laughs> well, we'd love to have you as a student nine. Um, uh, Raul Ayala, Ayala, sorry, Raul. Uh, hi, Andrew. When it comes to cell sheets, is it a good idea to have a theme background, space, jungle, ocean on the cell sheet or just have it a blank with the product and basic info? You know, I, I wouldn't attempt to uh, do your own cell sheet. Our students will do a crude version of a cell sheet, but then our graphic designers make it beautiful um, because it can get kind of crazy. Like, I think we had a student with like a medical device and and Steve and I happened to see the cell sheet and it was like in primary colors, like like a toddler's product. I'm like, why is this in primary colors? You know, but for a medical device, like white and blue looks really good. Um, and as far as your question or rule with the background, it can get a little busy. I, we've done plenty of cell sheets where it has a nice background that's appropriate. It really depends. Um, if you're not a graphic designer, I'd definitely stay away from any really busy background or maybe any background at all. And I would always recommend that you have a graphic designer fix up um, whatever cell sheet you do. Um, you know, back in the day, you know, the bar was really low for graphic design. The bar is really high right now, and it's not really expensive to have a graphic designer fix it up. But you got to realize graphic designers, whether you're working with our design studio or some other company um, doing the graphic design, it's garbage in, garbage out. So if your marketing is garbage, even with our design studio, because our designers just do the design. Now, when you're getting coaching, the coach will coach you on what the good marketing is, make you help you do the research, all that. And then the designer gets the good marketing and then makes it beautiful. So you have good marketing and you have good design. But if your marketing sucks, which a lot of inventors, their marketing just blows and they think it's good. I'm like, and I never say it this way, but I feel like saying sometimes like, you think this is good? Like, this is confusing. Like, I don't know. Now, the thing is, I've been coaching inventory inventors for 23 years. I can always figure out what it is. A marketing manager will not bother. And, or sometimes I can't. I had to ask a bunch of questions. I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, but if you provide a designer poor marketing, it's going to be a pretty piece of junk. So anyway, the reason why I bring this up, Raul, is um, yeah, you could have good marketing and you could do the graphic design, but you have no graphic design background. I don't know if you do or not, but let's say you don't. Um, it's going to look kind of amateurish. You know, you use a Microsoft Word template. Now, I've seen people that do a decent job and they do it on their own. But who wants decent? Like, if you're going to reach out to 30 companies like we teach our students to do, don't you want, like, boom, I get it in six seconds? That's what you need. No hesitate. Like, I'm barely paying attention. Like, they're, like, going through their emails. They're, like, kind of tired or... I just got to get through these emails. They look at it, boom, they get it right away. They're not trying. They're not trying. You want to assume, I haven't said this in a while, so this is great for everybody. You want to assume that marketing manager, that company is half brain dead. And, and I'm not beating them up. You know, poor, these poor people that work in corporate America these days, they're doing two or three people's jobs. They got tons of projects. They're inundated with email. You guys inundated with email? I don't know about you, but I am. And, and they're just getting through stuff. To think they're going to go to your website and dig through it and think on no hell if it doesn't hit them like oh okay I understand what the benefit of this product is like within six seconds you are toast no long rambling emails no terrible marketing no distracting graphics like primary colors on a medical product I could give a lot of other examples you know they don't have time for that so um, 
so or, or really distracting background rule if you pick the wrong background so but to get to rule's question yeah sometimes you, you do a background i'm not saying you don't do a background um definitely or a color or what have you but uh, but i always have a pro do that um definitely uh <laughs> robert's like uncle joe lol did i i think i mentioned uncle joe i, I don't have an uncle joe uh let's see magical blitz is their handle hi andrew i have two questions how would you go to licensing a concept that incorporates an important change slash modification to a company's product okay so um that's great i mean if you can license your product to a company and they're already selling bazillions of this unit and they could make this change um that's um that's great but i would always ask yourself if i sent this company could i send it to 20 other companies or at least 10 other companies as well and if the answer is no, it's literally just for this one company, you know, you're not playing the numbers game. Now, inventors think that all the time. Well, I invented for this one company. And I look at it, I'm like, nah, you could do this a little different or you could do exactly the same. And it could be for a bunch of other companies. And some of you may be saying, well, Andrew, but maybe they have a patent on it. But do they have a patent on what you're trying to do? Like if, if sometimes there's, you'll see like six companies well, let's say barbecue spatulas. I haven't used this stupid example in a while, but it's a barbecue spatula. And you're like, oh, there's that feature. But you see like six companies selling that feature in a barbecue spatula as a certain kind of like indentation in the barbecue spatula. You know there's no patent on it, right? Because there's six companies doing it. That's like public domain. Everybody's doing it, right? I don't say you know, but you probably know. So people also mis really misperceive patents. They go... Well, it says they have a patent. Well, like they see the product and then it goes, it says they have a patent. So they go, oh, they got a patent on that whole thing and everything involved with it. No, they got a patent on a piece of it. And you don't know what piece of it is unless you look up the patent. But when you can see that there's seven barbecue spatulas and they all have this particular feature, you kind of know that's public domain. So getting back to the, the question here, if you have a modification for one particular company and it's, but that modification, the product itself could be sold to a lot and to a lot of other companies or licensed to a lot of other companies and you're good don't assume that this one company because they got a patent on this one product has a patent on everything about the product and you could look at what they have a patent on and go well i could do another version of it without that one little piece and now i got 30 other companies i can reach out to so long and short of it what i'm saying is it's pretty much a waste of time i'm exaggerating to make a point not telling you not to do it to invent for one freaking company so you're going to send it to one company and they're not interested and you're like oh I guess I'm done. I filed a provisional, I did a sell sheet, they had a virtual prototype, I'm gonna send to one company? Uh, like, geez, that's not playing the numbers game that we teach you to play, okay? So, um, so yeah, you could send to that one company and you know, they might not, they might go, well, we're doing just fine with this, we don't need your improvement. But if it could help them sell more, and then you gotta figure out what the royalties, because they're always selling a bazillion units, and now you're going to add your feature. So you're kind of like piggybacking, right, on top of their product. So you got to figure out what an appropriate royalty is there. I don't th think that is a, a problem. That's a good problem to have if they're interested. So, yeah, it's perfectly fine to sell a modification to a particular company's product. But always think the first thing you should think, like, oh, I want to improve this company's product. And then think, well, could I license it to a bunch of other companies that are making products in this space too? If the answer is yes, go for it. If the answer is no, Kind of think on it like, well, geez, I'm going to send this one company and then I'm done. Really? I'm not playing the numbers game. If you got to make a PPA, a sell sheet, a virtual prototype for 
each one company you're going to show to one company really so you can do it if you want but it's it's that would be painful um Stephen Hooley said do you have any advice on getting to the right person in larger companies I have I've had people tell me to send my sell sheet and they send it to someone else so I can't follow up with the correct person oh well that's not a bad problem you at least Stephen you're doing pretty good you're you're getting it in they're saying it send it to somebody else I don't know if you're talking about the gatekeeper or who you're talking to you know if you could type in who what's the title of the person that said I'll send it to somebody else you know um and that's a good thing to do on LinkedIn to say, would you, you know they're the right person. They're like a marketing manager, but you say, would you be the right person or can you direct me the right person? And, you know, it, you can just ask that person. You had contact that one person. Who'd you send it to? Can you tell me who you sent it to? You know, now if they're like, oh, no, I can't tell you that. I'll forward it. Sounds a little bit like a black hole. I really wouldn't count on anything coming from that. But if you don't ask, you won't find out. You know, you got to ask, right? Um, let's see, LV said, I'm terrified to call companies. Any advice on that? Yeah, I wouldn't start with calling LV. I would set up on uh, LinkedIn, get yourself set up. I'm not a big social media guy because I just, I'm so sick of people arguing about politics or posting what they ate for dinner. Um, so my wife and I, we actually deleted our, uh, Facebook account and I'm so happy because Facebook to me. This is my biased viewpoint, guys. You don't you don't have to feel this way. I, I think if you connect with friends and family on Facebook, some people keep a very small group. I think it, in theory, it's amazing, you know. And maybe some of you utilize Facebook, but I just got tired of looking at all the garbage. Um, but that's not LinkedIn, guys. LinkedIn is about making connections for business. People shouldn't be posting, nor do I see them posting about politics or what they ate for dinner or any of that crap. And if they are, they're doing it wrong. And if you guys are doing that, don't do that, um, which I doubt you guys are. So LV, what I'm going to say is set up a LinkedIn account um, and then you can start reaching out to potential licensees on there. And if you sign up for a $29 program, $29 a month, that's not a program with coaching, of course, but we have some scripts in there on um, outreach scripts for, for LinkedIn. Um, so you could use utilize some of those. That's not so scary for you. You know, and you're asking permission to send your sell sheet. And then if they say yes, then you send your sell sheet. Um, and then you could also do email. Start off with that. Get a little bit more comfortable with it. And then you can start calling those companies that you couldn't get to on LinkedIn or via email. Because some of the, some people are on LinkedIn, you know, but they'll pick up the phone. I mean, a lot, a lot of people are picking up the phone these days. But maybe the operator is and they're like, oh, you know, Bob likes emails. Here's his email. And they give it to you. So picking up the phone can be great. Um, but people are just afraid of it. Here's the other thing that I'll say that will help you, LV, and everybody else. You don't have to pitch. You don't have to do some stupid Shark Tank thing. You don't have to do any of that. When you get a hold of them, you say, keep it simple. I have a product that I think was is a good match for your product line. Okay, I have a product that I think is a good match for your product line. I'm looking to license this to you. Can I send you a sell sheet? Can you give it a quick 30-second look? Uh, or quick mar a marketing piece to give a quick 30-second look. Um, and so if that's literally all you need to say, I, I took a look at your product line. Great. They're going, oh, wow, we're good. It's not just trying to send me some garbage. And I think this product's the right match for you. I'm looking to license it to you. And uh, can I email you a, a one-page sell sheet? You know, can you give it a quick 30-second look? Um, so that's something that you can you can do. 
And then maybe that will make you more comfortable. You know, a few companies show interest, stuff like that. And then before you know it, you're calling a few of them too, you know? So you know, take baby steps. The whole theme today, because every time we do these Q&As, we have a theme, is walk before you run. That's perfect. I love that. So that's walking before you run. Maybe for you, running would be picking up the phone calling, terrified of that. But sending a direct message on LinkedIn, that's not so scary. I can do that. Invent right guys, give me some templates to do that. I can do that. Um, let's see. Uh, Tryman said, uh, hi, Andrea, I reached out to a toy company and the invention relations person set up an online meeting event without yet seeing the product. Huh, that's weird. Um, I'm used to just sending the sizzle video after getting permission. What do I do? What do I prepare for that meeting? I'm a little scared and excited. I use ChatGPT to sound pro on emails, but not live. Oh, that's that's funny. That's interesting using ChatGPT to write emails. Um, okay, so getting on, and I, I'm going to qualify this, Tryman, because I think you'll be just fine. But asking companies to get on the phone with you so you can talk to them about your invention or to get on a Zoom call with you so you can talk. I'm going to, I got to share this with you without showing them a marketing piece is terribly unprofessional. They don't have time for that. You know, a marketing manager doesn't have time to get on with 10 different inventors during the day and just hear them ramble about their product when they quite often don't aren't direct with their sales pitch. Now, what happened with Triman is fine because they said, well, let's set up a meeting. Now, in the toy business, which is different, they do Zoom meetings a lot more often and, and pitches on Zoom. That's common. Outside of that, people will do Zooms outside of the toy business and they'll do phone calls. But um, it's just like set up a meeting. Like they're going to give you a chance, Tryman. Come across as professional. Um, be very respectful. So, but they said they wanted a meeting. You know, you didn't ask for it. They said, let's do a meeting. So maybe they got a little bit of time. Hey, y'all, yeah, meet with a new inventor. And maybe they're maybe because you were so pro, they're like, oh, we put this inventor into the pro inventor pile because you had ChatGPT write your email for you. And they're like, he sounds like a professional inventor. And you fooled them, maybe, if you're not. Uh, so I'd be very respectful. Uh, I would, uh, you know, if you have a sell sheet, if you're on Zoom, I would be ready to share that, you know, share your screen, practice that, get on Zoom. Did you say it was on Zoom? Um, prepare for a meeting. Yeah, if it's on a meeting, if it's on a video chat, then prepare so you can show them the sell sheet. And then, then you take it down or you just start talking about it. And like, you're going to hear them reacting to it like they're seeing it for the first time. Is that what I am telling everybody else to do? Hell no, no, no. But in the toy business, they kind of, in this one case, they kind of put them in the pro pile. They said, oh, yeah, we'll do a meeting for you. But don't try to get a meeting. They don't have time for that. Um, you know, sometimes people like with me, I'm not a company. We're, we're, we we coach and I mean, we're a company, but we're not a potential licensee. I get some misguided inventor that says they want to fly in to my town and, and meet with me. And I'm like, why? Why do you want to do that? Like, first, if you want to do something more personal, I'll do a Zoom with you. But why do you want to fly in? And it's always somebody that's those people are always a little off, you know, and they got to they, they got to just ramble. And, it, you know, you're not going to be off the call for like an hour. Right. And I'm like, no, I'll get on Zoom with you and I'll talk to you for a bit, but send me what you want me to look at, you know, but I'm not a potential licensee. But anyway, so don't get put into that cap camp. 
Okay, Mike Eicher said, I missed your question. Yeah, why are Mike Eicher said, I missed the question after nine. And Mike, I do not see a, your question from Mike Eicher after the nine one. And um, yeah, it's just not there. So guys, sometimes you type in your question and it just doesn't show. I don't know what's going on there. Sorry to be a pass uh, before nine, before nine. Let's see, maybe. Oh, no. Okay. Oh, no, I just missed it. So, no, that's not the case. Yeah, I just missed it, Mike. Um, I have a product. I want to get to your guys' questions. I'm pretty cool about that. Uh, I have a product, Pet Toy, that works but for both for cats and dogs. How would I go about licensing the product? Huh. Interesting. Normally, it wouldn't be for cats and dogs. Um, usually, companies, if a if a company is doing things for cats and dogs, then you could present it to them that way. But I don't know if I've ever seen anything that is good for cats and dogs. Now, if it's for like a drinking bowl or something like that, um, you didn't say it was a toy. No, you said pet toy. Wow. I don't think I've ever seen a product that was a pet toy that was good for both cats and dogs. I have two dogs. I don't have any cats. But um, how I go about licensing it? Well, if a company's just making cat stuff or just making dog stuff, they're going to kind of trip out on that. But, you know, you so you I, I can't tell you how to represent that. I can't tell you to use two different sell sheets or throw them both in the same sell sheet without actually seeing the product. So I couldn't say, Mike. Um, but, you know, you don't want to turn off a company that just sells dog toys by putting the cat stuff in there. But if you did, this is just a random example. You could put in the email. You could say, you know, I know you do dog toys. Okay. They know you're not clueless about what they do. But this this product would actually work for, for cats too. I know you're not in that. So just forget about the cats. Or if you want to start selling stuff to cat to cats, to people that have cats too, then you could pay attention to it that way. But you so what I'm saying is, which is a good tip, is sometimes you can write a sentence or two, usually not more than that, that will do a preemptive strike on what you think their criticism might be of your sell sheet. And in this case, if you include it for cats and dogs, and you know they only sell to dogs or only sell to cats. Um, but I can't tell you if that would be a good idea. I mean, that's like something a coach would tell you, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, and I'm very intrigued that you actually have a product that'd be good for cats and dogs. That's a toy. If you said it's like a drinking device or something, that's, that's interesting. Um, let's see what else we got here thank you mike for bringing that to my attention oh ooh, i like this trip said have you considered having event right coaches co-host these live sessions with you would be cool to meet them yeah that's i i, I will do interviews and steven's doing a bunch now where we'll interview a student and a coach together on you for a youtube video so we would do that but yeah, that's interesting. That would be good. You know, I think I need some software. I need special software to be able to have two people on video. I need to see if our Restream account, which we use for LinkedIn, can do that. Um, I'm not sure if it can. But I think that would be really cool. It'd be really great for you guys to meet um, some of the coaches' trip. That's a great idea. I've had the idea eons ago for YouTube. I don't know why I haven't had them had that idea for the live stream here. Um, 
Danny said, how much revenue should the company make? Okay. You know, I, I think if you're just asking a general question, Danny, about um, how licensing works. So, you know, these are really big companies. So, and I always joke by saying this, that you can have delusions of grandeur when you're licensing and you're not delusional. So for a big company to sell 20,000, 50,000, half a million units, two million units, it depends on the type of product, right? That's normal for them. Like we had a company on one of our Bridging the Gap sessions for our students. They have 5,000 products, 5,000 products. These companies are freaking big, you know? Um, so what's great about that is, you know, as an inventor, you want to dream big. You don't want to think like, well, I'm going to make this thing. I'll, I'll sell a few on Amazon or an Etsy or eBay or whatever. That's not your dream as an inventor. You want a lot of people to enjoy your product and you want to make a decent amount of money, right? So when you license, you can dream big because they go big and then you get a royalty. So now the most common royalty is a 5% royalty. And so people are like, well, I see people that don't know how, how licensing works. So, well, Andrew, I'm not, I don't want 5%. I want 100%. And I'm like, that's when I instantly know. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. And I'm like, and I explain to them calmly. I go, well, some companies may literally, after all their costs, only have a 20% profit margin. So if they only have a 20% profit margin, you're getting a quarter of that in royalties and they're taking all the risk and doing all the work. Isn't that pretty fair? And, and, and they're like, oh, oh, okay. And yeah, you can sell it yourself and maybe you can get a 20% profit margin, but maybe you're selling 500 units a month, maybe a thousand, whatever it is, but they're selling half a million or 200,000 or 50,000 or whatever it is. You know, and so when you're getting a royalty on every unit and the volume is there and also you're not risking your money and you're not using you don't have to hire employees. And really, to be honest with you, retailers are not interested in your one product company. You're a pain in their butt. If every single vendor at Walmart was a one person company or a one product company, the buyer would want to like shoot themselves in the head. It's like it's it would be brutal, you know. Um, so they don't really want to deal with you. Now, I'm not saying if you're really determined and you have hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe half a million dollars, you can't do it, but you're going to then need to build a company with many, many products. You, you can't exist as a company with one product for very long. If you fight tooth and nail to get your product, if you're selling it yourself into a store, once they realize like you're not coming out with more products, they're going to kick you to the curb. Or they'll kick you the curb for that big vendor, like the one you might license to. And they're like, hey, Bob, the buyer, you know, we've got these six products in your store. We'll give you discounts on those two if you take on this new product. And they're like, oh, yeah. And they're looking around and they see your one product company. You fought tooth and nail to get in there. Impossible. And let's say you actually got in with the one, your one product into this retailer. You're the first one they're going to kick to the curb. Now, if you had licensed to this big company, you are that big company. So that's the benefit of licensing is that you become that big company. You're as big as them. So you can, as I joke, have delusions and grandeur. You're not delusional at all. That's very normal. You can totally do that. But, you know, some of our students would deals, do deals with smaller companies or medium-sized companies or large companies, but not the biggest. So the royalties are going to vary tremendously depending on three things. Um, the price of the product. Is it a 99 cent product or is it a $5,000 product? Don't think that because it's 99 cents, that's bad and 5,000 is good. No, because there's other components here. Price of the product times 
the royalty rate. Okay. Everybody thinks like, well, if I get a five or a 10% royalty or 8% or 3% or whatever it is, that's everything. It's my royalty rate. No. Like if you get, let's say you get an 8% royalty instead of 5% royalty, but they're only selling, you know, 500 units a month. Well, that's royalties aren't really going to add up to much, are they? Right. So price of the product times the royalty rate times the volume being sold. The volume being sold being the big thing, guys. Okay. But everybody gets all wrapped up in the royalty rate. Hey, I'd be okay with a half a percent royalty rate if they're selling enough, right? If they're selling like bazillions of units, right? But the most common is a 5% royalty rate. Okay. So, um, and actually, I've got to send this interview. I did an interview with uh, one of our students that had worked on licensing. Now she's venturing. And she's like, guys, it's freaking brutal. And she talks about it. And that video should be going up maybe the end of this week, early next week. I need to get that off to our IT guy. I forgot to get that off. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's just it, what she was saying in that interview. Is like, I'm in it now, but I'm still going to actively try to license this thing while I'm venturing it because I really don't want to be here. <laughs> That's what she was saying. Um, let's see. You're welcome. Magical Blitz. Blitz, I think is it. Um, Tryman said, I, I learned how crazy off the first products I submit to company. Oh, uh, I want to remind you guys, if you guys give me a thumbs up, that would be great. That really helps the YouTube algorithm. Whether you're watching the replay or you're watching live right now, um, please give me a thumbs up. We don't have everybody that's attending give a thumbs up. I forgot. Normally, I beg you earlier on in the in the live stream, but that would be much appreciated. And um, I will do my arm cross if I don't get it. There we go. There's a, cu a couple coming in. Um, yeah, don't be stingy. And then subscribe down below. Click subscribe and then click on the notification button. Nothing happens. You know, we, we don't come to your house and abduct you or anything like that. You just get like notified on YouTube if we're doing a live stream or something. It's And it, it really it really helps our the YouTube algorithm, as they say. Um, Uh, Tryman said, I learned how crazy off the first products I submit to companies in terms of manufacturing and reinventing the wheel. As Steven says, thanks. Great feedback from the friendly product innovation picks. Great. Um, let's go, Andrew. Yes, soon. Let's see. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Tryman was saying that meetings on Zoom. So, yeah, just get on there, man. Have your sell sheet ready. Uh, you know, explain your product. The sell sheet should be doing it. I would show it um, and uh, just go from there and then just be real. Just uh, let them ask you some questions, um, and especially if it's a toy company, Trimend. I think yours was a toy. Um, they're just trying to, you know, it's not just about this one product. They're trying to see like, oh, this guy's easy enough to work with. We'd like to see more ideas from him. That's always true, guys. Always, always true. Um, Jay, wonderful success. Is it better call the 800 number or email you directly? If email, what is your email? Jay Wonderful, my email is andrew at inventright.com, A-N-D-R-E-W at inventright.com. You're welcome to email me. Um, uh, Dally said, uh, people need to put their live, their chat on live chat mode. Top chat only shows a few comments. Huh, I didn't know that because I'm never an attendee on these things. So. Um, yeah, he's saying you got to put it in live chat mode. If you put it in top chat, it only shows a few comments. That's interesting. Um, Danny said, I have interest with companies that have a revenue that make five mil a year. 
Yeah, it's probably like slightly on the smaller side, definitely. Um, and another with 30 mil, which isn't that much. No, it's not that much. My product is temporary clothing alterations. You know, I, I would move forward with everyone as if the other ones don't exist. And, you know, I could teach you a million ways till Tuesday, Danny, to delay with a smaller company until you see if a bigger company is interested. I don't really, if you're an event rights student, I, don't, I never see that as a problem. Um, <clears throat> but if a company really has very, very limited distribution, the, the royalties aren't going to add up to that much because <coughs> you're getting a royalty on every product they sell. Uh, yeah, Jay, wonderful success. Uh, Colonel Sanders got 10 cents off every meal. 100 million plus in royalties. There you go. Um, Dave Church. Um, yeah, thanks, Dave. It was reminding me to ask for a thumbs up. So, oh, we got most people give me thumbs up. Um, huh. Ab Abdullahi, I think. Abdullahi. I was told licensing through InventRight can only give you 5%. Why 5%? Well, first of all, Abdullahi. You're not licensing through us. We mentor and coach people. You're licensing to the manufacturers that would sell your product. Your deal is with them, not with us. So it's not licensing to InventRight. You're not licensing to us. We are not saying we can only give you 5%. What we're saying is we're trying to make you guys level-headed so you don't look like idiots. I'm, I'm, I'm just being crazy here, guys, for a second. To companies so they don't think you're an idiot. And so when you say... Oh, no, I want 50% of the profit. You look like an idiot. And so, um, or when you say 5% is not enough, you look like an idiot. Now, does that mean you can't negotiate like for 6 or 7 or 8% or a little bit more? Yeah, you can. But was that something you're going to say early on? Hell no. You know, so, you know, again, Abdulli, he, you know, why do you think 5% is low? I just gave you examples. Maybe you just joined. But, you know, if they're selling half millions, you're getting 5% and they're only having a 20% profit margin, you should be pretty happy. You're, you're taking one quarter of the profit and they're taking all the risk and doing all the work. If that's not enough for you, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. I'm not saying you're saying that's what it is. Maybe you're just learning how it works and you're thinking, oh, well, then they're getting 95%. No, no, you're getting a 5% royalty based on the wholesale price and their profit margin. When a company charges... 20, you know, $20 for the product at retail. Do you think they're keeping all that? Of course they aren't. Uh, they got employees and they got all sorts of costs and manufacturing costs and all sorts of things. Um, Iron and Silk is their handle. I filed a provisional patent on a product years ago that I never took to market. Over the years, I've had to change the product and now want to take it to market. Can I file another PPA? Hell yeah, you can and you should. You can file a provisional patent on, on that. If you haven't made public disclosure, you can file the whole thing again. You can file the whole thing again anyway. But let's say you made public disclosure, but not on your new improvements. Even if you made public disclosure, you could still file a provisional on those new improvements. So you definitely can. Don't get victimized by these attorneys that make you believe that if your provisional runs out, you've lost your rights. You have not. You've lost that date but you could file that provisional again, providing you haven't made public disclosure and get in a year from the new date, okay? But they'll make you, and, and I tell inventors, like like the att attorney will tell them, you're gonna lose your priority date if you don't file before a month because the year is coming up. And the inventor is not asking questions and the attorney's leaving stuff out. 
And now the inventor goes out and spends 10,000 a pound feeling like they had to. Well, they didn't have to. They had made public disclosure, sold it as swap me, put it on a public website, privately sharing it for with a potential licensee via an email is not considered public disclosure for the most part. And so they could file that provisional again and you know see what interests, see if they need to make some changes. So 60, another $60 is a hell of a lot better than another 10,000. And I think a lot of patent attorneys, I, I tell the inventor, I always never tell the patent attorney, I told them that, but they can tell them, hey, look, no, I can file another provisional um, because they want to get you for that 10 grand, you know? Um, but understand what public disclosure is, look it up, okay? Um, hmm, okay. I think we're gonna wrap up with this one. Uh, well, let's go down to James and then I'll jump up to Anthony's because I'm going to go a little on off on Anthony's here, which is a great question. Uh, James uh, Godoy says, what kind of invention can you get more than 5% royalties? Um, there's no particular invention where you can get more. It's whatever you can negotiate. That's why it's called a negotiation, right? Um, but again, this is what everybody does. And James is doing this, which is normal. I love that he said that. You're focusing too much on the royalty rate. You can get 5% or you can get 10%, but if they're not gonna sell shit, it's not gonna add up to anything. But if they're gonna sell half a million, it's gonna add up to insane money. So the question you should be asking James is, how much are they can sell? So instead of what kind of invention can you get more than 5% royalties, how can I identify companies that can sell massive volume? You should be thinking volume, not royalty. Of course the royalty is important. But there's no particular invention where you can get more royalty or less royalties, whatever you can negotiate, you know, and how much they like your product, you know. Um, so I, lo I love these questions. Great questions, guys. Uh, so now I'm going to do Anthony's question. This is great. And most of you guys are not doing this. Probably 95% of you are not doing this. Probably 98% of you are doing this. So what I'm going to teach you here, what is the best way? And then I'm going to call it a night. What is the best way to brainstorm for coming up with new ideas? Okay. Now, most of you didn't decide, oh, I'm going to be an inventor. I bet almost none, none of you decided that. It just happened to you one day. You just you just started coming up with ideas. You didn't go, I'm going to be an inventor. I'm going to come up with ideas. No, you just started coming up with ideas. Um, and that's fine. And you come up with ideas. You saw a problem. You looked at a product. You know, maybe it came to you in the shower, maybe when you're driving, maybe you saw an advertisement, maybe you were using a product in the kitchen. There's a lot of different ways. Maybe your spouse complained about something, you came up with a solution. There's a million ways that inventors come up with ideas. But, and that's fine. And some inventors, they come up with hundreds of ideas that way. But what's the absolute best way to come up with ideas is to study the marketplace first. And that sounds like a really kind of general, kind of really boring, like marketing kind of crap thing to say. Right. I studied marketing in college. I learned anything about marketing in college. You learn marketing by doing it. Um, I did, but still, uh, it's you don't need to go to college for marketing. Um, the best thing to do is to study a category. Okay. So let's say it was kitchen and you studied, um, well, I'm going to study stuff, you know, I'm going to study kitchen cutting boards. Okay. Um, and that's kind of a broad category. And then you start studying and then you got this type and that type. And then you're like, hmm, bamboo. Okay. I'm going to really become an expert at bamboo kitchen cutting boards. So you, you'd spent maybe 30 minutes studying all the kitchen cutting boards. And you're, for some reason, you're intrigued by bamboo kitchen cutting boards. You have no invention, none, no invention whatsoever. 
Um, and you should kind of try to resist from coming up with an invention at this point. If you do, write it, but put it aside. All right. So then you're like, well, I'm going to invest an hour or two of my time studying bamboo kitchen cutting boards, all the ways they work, all the different ways they're laid out and the features and the, the benefits of all of them, the price points, you know, everything. I'm going to become an expert. So you could talk to somebody who works in a kitchen store or a place in, that works in kitchen and you're like, you'd know bamboo kitchen cutting boards better than they do probably because you got you got a micro category, kitchen cutting boards, a broader category, micro category, kitchen cutting boards or barbecue products and then barbecue spatulas. You've narrowed it down to something that you could become an absolute expert in in an hour or two, or maybe two hours. OK, um, and so you're you're not just looking at all the stuff. So you're using Google Images and you're typing a bamboo kitchen cutting board. And then you're also on Target or Walmart or Amazon and you're looking at the categories and they're showing you like lists of companies that are making bamboo kitchen cutting boards. And you're you're bookmarking all this stuff, right? Because you're not going to keep it in your head. Google Images is a great, not regular Google. You do a Google search and you click on images and you get all this visual stimulation. That's the, that's my best place to start. That's my favorite place to start. And and you you you're not you're you're observing the price ranges the benefits of each one, the way they're marketing it, all that. So then you're like, okay, I'm kind of tired. I did this for two hours. Maybe you came up with some stuff, not really important that you came up with stuff, more that you absorbed this micro category and you're an expert now. So then you put that aside, you bookmarked all that in your browser or saved in an Evernote if you're fancy or whatever you want, but you can't keep it all in your head. So you got to bookmark that stuff that you found that you thought was interesting, maybe make some notes and stuff. And then maybe the next day it comes to you in the shower, maybe a week later, Maybe when you're driving two days later, maybe you come back to your computer and you sit and you look at all these images you bookmarked and you think and you come up with an invention. But this is why this is a beautiful thing. You've, and this is why inventing the other way is not as good and it can be very painful. You invented with the marketplace in mind. You looked at all the products, you acknowledged them, you know, and then you invented for the marketplace. Well, there's this group of kitchen, bamboo kitchen cutting boards over here, over here. And, oh, I'm going to invent something right here. Or I'm just going to do a variation on what's already popular over here. You invented for the marketplace. You know there's a market from it. Boom. You know because you studied it and then you invented for it. Most inventors are not doing that. Most inventors, they're so afraid of what they're going to find because they just randomly came up with an idea. And then they go around in blinders and there's a bunch of stuff that's somewhat similar. You know, um, Now, if so similar is fine if you got a point of difference, but now you got to reinvent if for some reason did invent that exact same thing, okay? They're both okay ways to invent, but the ultimate way to invent, study the marketplace and then invent. So any of you can come up with an idea anytime now. Pick a category, study it for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, and then find a narrower category, and then study it for another half an hour and go, you know, I'm feeling this. Let's study this for two hours. Let me become an expert. And you may come up with ideas that way. You may not, right? You may study a microcategory and it never comes to you, but it's fun. And instead of anxiety producing, when you come up with a random idea and then you got to go, does it fit in the marketplace? You're not doing proper studying because you're trying to, well, that sucks and that sucks and that's no good. And you're not really searching hard. Now, if you're okay with that and you're not sensitive about it, well, that's fine too. But mo almost no inventors are inventing that way. And that's really the best way to invent. So um, I think it was uh, Anthony. So you got a real ramble for me on that one, but I love that question. Amazing question. Um, yeah, and Tryman was chiming in there. Let's see. 
Okay, we'll answer this last one, and then I got to get going, guys. Isaac said, what should I do if the companies I reached out to say they only accept ideas with fully patented utility patents on them? Um, Isaac, they're not interested in any ideas of any kind. They're archaic. No company that is serious about ideas will accept you have an issued utility patent. That's freaking ridiculous. So they expect you to file a full utility, wait two to three years for it to issue, and then reach out to companies to license it, knowing that the product may not even be relevant anymore. That's ridiculous. Those companies are archaic, or that person was just trying to get rid of you for whatever reason. Um, but that's not normal. That's not the norm. You're going to find it with some companies, not that many anymore. They are dinosaurs. They will never license anything from you anyway, so no worries. But don't then jump to that conclusion. Well, then I... Because a couple companies told me that I need to go out and go to a patent attorney, give them $10,000. Hell no. No, 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 no. Um, okay. Uh, all right. If you guys could type in any thanks for me, that would be great. Um, maybe I'll answer one more question while you do that. And if any of you haven't given me a thumbs up, I'd appreciate it. And also subscribe down below. Okay. LV said, for example, if I have two or three companies interested in my product, should I choose one or can I license to all of them? Most of the time, you're going to be licensing to one company if you can break it out and it makes sense. But you don't want two companies stepping on each other's toes. If they're selling the exact same place and you guys are thinking, well, I'll make more money if I license to two companies and they're selling on the same shelf at Walmart, that doesn't make any sense. All right. But if it's a different geography, different version of the product, all sorts of different things, then it might be possible. Um, but uh, don't think you're going to make more company money by licensing to multiple companies um you know if it's one really big company don't be greedy oh my god this company's big they're here 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 be happy with that all right but if it can be broken out we show our students how to break it out if it makes sense but I, and sometimes i look at them like oh no you could break this out like this or or i'm like no that's just going to be an exclusive to one company that doesn't doesn't make sense um Let's see. All right. That's cool. Patricia said, hi, budding inventors. Keep your interest and passion by, alive by reading biography inventors like Edison, Leonardo da Vinci, and Newton. You know, I find that comment interesting, Patricio. I think people, I think a lot of inventors don't associate with those. And people, when you say inventor, they think like Edison or Leonardo da Vinci or Newton or whatever. But we're inventing like a gadget or a gizmo or something that makes us an inventor too but we don't really fully identify with edison that's doing a light bulb you know and and that's just you're just a different kind of inventor if you're doing a consumer product like some of these products behind me i have students doing very advanced products but um but if the if that motivates you i think that's great but don't think you need to do what they did don't think you need to be as fancy just being a good marketer observing the marketplace and coming up with an idea you don't need to be that inventive. You don't need to be freaking Leonardo da Vinci. I think that's just setting the bar too high. But if you read about them and you're motivated and inspired by them, great. But you don't have to do things on that level at all to be an amazing inventor, um, without a doubt. All right. Um, great. Great. Uh, what was it? What did he say here? Trip said evolution, not invention. That's cool. All right. So, okay, guys. Um, I Take care. Keep inventing. We're about six minutes over. Um, hopefully I'll catch some of you on next Monday. Check out our website. If you go to inventright.com, you can get the free resources there. 
Check out our services page too. We got that $29 a month program. We also have one-on-one coaching. Um, check out our member success page. If you want, uh, this is what I'm going to say. Patricio, I think what people should do is check out our member success page. Not because we're bragging that our students license products, but when you see all these inventors license these products that are kind of like yours, consumer products, maybe commercial products, that will be super motivating. Equally motivating or different kind of motivation than reading about uh, Edison or Leonardo da Vinci. You know, so that's today. That's now. Go to inventright.com. Click on member success. That that should help a lot of you to stay motivated. Whether or not you get our help or somebody else's help, that, that should motivate you. Go. All these people have these products in the market. That's cool. All right. See you guys. Take care, everybody. Bye.